I'll ask you to keep your Bibles open to Matthew 24 as we study through this last part of this chapter together. The certain unexpected return of Christ. The certain unexpected return of Christ. Let's ask the Lord once again to help us this morning as we look at this passage together. Father, we as your people, as your children, as your sons and your daughters, we bow before your presence, we bow before your word, and we ask, Father, that you would speak, that you would grant us understanding and and wisdom, Lord. We confess that when we come to these passages of Scripture that deal with the end times, we we confess that uh, we can't figure out all of the details. But looking at this passage today, maybe that's not the point for us to figure out all the details. And so, Father, there is something for all of us here today, those of us who are in the faith and those of us who are yet to embrace Christ as Lord and Savior. There is a word for us, and we trust your Holy Spirit will be working in our hearts to mold our hearts, that we would be humble and receptive and open, that you would give us sight, you would give us a hunger and thirst, you would give us an openness and a uh, receiving spirit, Lord to your word, to your truth, to the gospel, to Christ. And we pray, Father, as we look at this passage together, that you would so speak and move in our hearts that we would be a a changed people, growing in the likeness of Christ and looking for Christ. During this time of year, we think of Christ often as believers. And really, that's probably the lesson of this passage is that we are not to just think often of Christ in December, but to be thinking often of Christ each and every day. So, Lord, we ask you to build your church, to do your work, to save souls, to heal hearts to encourage us, to convict us, to do your work. And we're going to give you the glory and praise for what you accomplished today in Christ's name. Amen. The certain unexpected return of Christ. I came to faith in Christ as a 15-year-old freshman in high school, December the 27th, 1987. I was thinking about that. Uh, coming to Christ, and uh, that occurred at an event for youth groups across uh, the state. It was called Evangelympics, the 1987 Evangelympics, and uh, it was held on the campus of Furman University. Because I was saved there, they, each student that came, each youth group that came, they gave you a, a little pamphlet, and that's what you were to use all weekend. We would take notes. And they had the worship songs. This was 
Everything was, looks like typed on a, on a typewriter. It was back in the day. So I pulled this out. I was kind of flipping through it, thinking about coming to Christ in 1987. And I discovered something that I didn't know. I was looking here on the, uh, they have a list of what they call cluster group leaders. So that was the youth pastors from the area that would lead small groups and breakout sessions. And guess who one of the cluster group leaders were, was, at the 1987 Evangelympics, Wofford Kaufman. I saw his name there. So, Catherine, you'll have to tell him. I got his name in my Evangelympics book. I came to the Lord during that time. I share that because I came to the Lord in the last few days of 1987. And shortly after I became a true believer, I, I was a churchgoer, I was a church member, but I wasn't a believer until I came to Christ. And shortly after I became a true believer, a follower of Christ, a new buzz just rumbled through the evangelical world, as is often the case from time to time. Edgar Wisnant, a NASA engineer, claimed that having studied the Bible very carefully with his keen mind and insight, that he could predict with unquestionable certainty that the rapture would occur in 1988, somewhere between September the 11th and September the 13th. He published a book entitled, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. Anyone familiar with that book? Anyone hear about that book? Boy, I did. 300,000 free copies were sent to ministers across America in the opening days of 1988. 4.5 million copies were sold in stores. And this is really interesting. As the date drew closer, TBN offered programming to provide special instructions on how to prepare for the rapture. I don't know what those would have been. Stand still, look up, jump as high as you can. Probably get outdoors. Don't make a hole in the roof. I mean, I don't know what what these special instructions were. But Wisnot was quoted as saying, listen to this. Only if the Bible is in error am I wrong. And he was also quoted as saying, I would stake my life on Rosh Hashanah 1988. When the date arrived, it was reported that people went outside and sat in their lawn chairs, kind of did a cookout, kind of did a tailgate for the rapture, waiting on the rapture, looking up at any moment to see Jesus. Of course, September the 11th through the 13th, 1988, came and went without the rapture. Wisnot would go on to say, I just need to correct my figures, and he predicted the rapture in 1989, and then in 1993, and then in 1994. Each time, you can imagine, with decreasing attention and decreasing book sales. I don't know if he ever admitted 
to being wrong and misleading thousands of people. We've talked about in Matthew 24, false prophets, haven't we? And Jesus saying, don't listen to them if they say, look, here's the Christ. Now, I remember, remember, I'm a brand new believer. I remember when I first encountered this teaching as a young believer, I've just been saved, and all this is really just hitting hitting the evangelical world, and my first thought was, good night, I barely made it. My second thought was, wait a minute. I mean, I wasn't a believer, but I was raised in church. Wait a minute, doesn't the Bible say somewhere that no one knows the day or hour? I mean, it's, it's in there somewhere. I heard that somewhere. And I'm so thankful, church, that I had a pastor at that time who had his feet grounded more in Scripture than in his head full of the latest trend or the latest buzz and he guided our church scripturally i know i'm not the hippest trendiest uh pastor in the world but i can guarantee you this i will do everything that i can the best that i can to always guide from scripture and not from the latest buzzword but what about this teaching in verse 36 No one knows the day or the hour when the Son of Man will come. Not even the angels who, I believe Jesus mentions those because they they are in very close contact with the Father. They are always there in the presence of the Father, and they don't even know. And not even the Son, I believe that's speaking of in in his humanity, in in the uh, persons of the Godhead... Now, only the Father, in a sense, only the Father knows. Now, Jesus has just said, remember, we looked at last week, Jesus has just said in verse 35 that his coming is absolutely certain. There is no question about it. In fact, everything else that we think is certain will will pass away, but the truth of what Jesus has shared about his coming, his return, is not going to pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, his will not pass away. His coming is absolutely certain. So on the one hand, we can be absolutely sure that the Son will come just as he said he would. But on the other hand, we will not know the specific date. It's going to happen. You can be absolutely sure that it's going to happen. We just don't know when. Even though Jesus has given us detailed signs and events that will unfold, we still will not be able to predict predict with precise accuracy the timing of his coming. I would illustrate it this way. Think of of a a woman who is pregnant and is, is planning a natural birth. We know that she's going to give birth. The signs are certain. The birth is inevitable. And we can even figure a due date for the birth of the child. But that due date is never really set in stone, is it? The baby may arrive early. The baby may arrive late. Or it may arrive right on the due date. 
We know the baby is coming. We see the signs. We can, we can get pretty close to being accurate, but we never know exactly when the baby is coming until the baby comes. And that's much the same with the coming of Christ. But even though no one knows exactly when, exactly the day, exactly the hour, there will be a sense of his coming. There will be a season of his coming that we can be alert to, that we can be aware of. And so first of all, the first thing we'll look at this morning is that Jesus says the culture, the culture will be a signal in verse 37, Jesus says that the culture will be a signal that, he, that his coming is near. He says, for, for as the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. Now, what does Jesus mean? He says, for as were the days of Noah so will be the coming of man. When we read that verse and we ask, now what does he mean by that? Are, are we expecting a lot of rain before Jesus comes? And, and verse 38 explains it's not the weather, it's the culture. It's the culture. God destroyed the earth with the great flood in Genesis 6 to, to stop the fast progression and effects of sin. God literally cleansed the world and began again because sin had advanced and corrupted so rapidly. Imagine that. The fall occurred in Genesis 3. The flood occurs in Genesis 6. A very rapid advancing approach of sin. Now, there were a lot of, a lot of time in between those chapters, of course, but again, sin progresses rapidly. Jesus described the culture of Noah's day in two ways. He says, for as it was in Noah's day, so it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. So he's drawing a comparison. And he says they were eating and drinking. That's interesting, isn't it? Just like in Noah's day, they were eating and drinking. Now, at first, at first glance, you would think, What's the problem with that? What's, the, what's eating and drinking have to do with this? I mean, those are basic necessities of life, right? We, we need food and we need water. We need to be eating and drinking. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink, do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do in life, even down to the very basic necessities, do them all to the glory of God. Well, maybe actually that verse in the New Testament gives us kind of an understanding of what's going on, what Jesus is saying about the culture in Noah's day that's going to be similar to, that's going to be a kind of a, a mirrored in the culture of the day when is the coming of the Son of Man. Eating and drinking in and of themselves are not wrong and sinful unless we forget the giver and we allow the gifts to be the end in and of themselves. If the gifts are actually what we are seeking. 
In other words, that phrase, eating and drinking, signifies a life that is simply a pursuit of the next pleasure, the next indulgement, the next good time. Eating and drinking signifies a life of of pursuing nothing except what pleases me, what pleases my flesh, what pleases myself. And if your life is void of God, we we have to fill it with something. And pleasures are usually the first distraction that so easily we gravitate towards if we're not gravitating toward God. In other words, as Neil Postman wrote in his little prophetic book in 1985, they were in Noah's day amusing themselves to death. And Jesus said, it's going to be like that. For as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. Now just pause a minute. Just take a really deep breath Pause for a minute and ask yourself this question. How large of a role does entertainment play in our present culture? How large of a role does entertainment play in our lives? Our lives. How large of a role, I'll ask another one. Somebody, somebody told me a few weeks ago, I won't say who, but somebody told me, preacher, maybe you should step on our toes a little bit more. Here we go. <laughs> How large of a role does entertainment play in the church? We literally, our society, our culture, we literally thirst and demand the next entertaining pleasure we demand to be entertained and if this church is not entertaining enough I'll find another one or I just won't go Entertainment driven, pleasure driven for the sake of just being entertained. They are an end in themselves. I read uh, just this week, I was reading through that little book we gave out for Thanksgiving, The, the Grace of Gratitude. And it said, if, 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 if you are pursuing joy, you'll never find it. But if you, you are pursuing God, you'll find it. The second thing Jesus says about this culture, he's describing, he says they were eating and drinking, and then he says they were marrying and giving in marriage. In other words, there was a loss of sacredness of marriage, a loss of the sanctity of the covenant of marriage, the divine origin and institution of marriage was celebrated right here last night will be celebrated again this coming weekend so this loss of the sacredness of marriage they were marrying and giving in marriage 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 became to mean nothing there was no standard 
it became meaningless because it was just marrying and giving in marriage. That is an example of when you look at marriage in a society and you lose the sacredness of that, it becomes an example of how there's a loss of the moral compass in this culture. So their lives were not governed by what was right or by divine compulsion. But their lives were governed by their feelings and their desires and their lust and their pleasures and their own ideas of what is wrong and what is right and what is moral. Does that sound familiar? I was, I was shocked at this. I don't know if you caught this on the news, but one morning uh, a couple of weeks ago I caught this. Did you know that last month in Spartanburg County... We're not talking about California, New York, Spartanburg County. A pop-up divorce court was held at the auditorium, and in one day, over 100 marriages were dissolved. And the clerk of court said this, we're just allowing people to move on with their lives before the holidays. Now, I don't want to dismiss any heart wrenching circumstances that people face in divorce please hear me carefully we live in a fallen world and a lot of people end up in divorce that did not want to end up there so i'm not dismissing any heartache of living in a fallen world and divorce being a reality but i will say this Somehow we got to the place where ending marriage as quickly and as conveniently as possible was the solution rather than doing everything we can to save them. But that's nothing new, is it? Jesus said in Noah's day, They were marrying and giving in marriage. And it'll be like that, Jesus says, with the coming of the Son of Man. And so in verse 39, Jesus says the culture is devolving rapidly right up until Noah entered the ark. And it says this, very interesting, and they were unaware. They were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, I thought that was a very interesting statement, so I I was looking into that. What does that mean? Noah and his sons were building the ark for 75 years. And in 2 Peter, the Bible says Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He was warning the people of the judgment to come. So he's building and he's preaching. He's building and he's preaching. And he's warning the people. What, what are you doing, Noah? Why are you building a boat? Judgment is coming. So what does it mean when Jesus says, and they were unaware? It doesn't mean that they were not told, that they were not informed that judgment was coming. It means they didn't believe it. They just didn't believe it. So when it came, as God said that it would, 
They were swept away. The culture of pleasure-seeking, loss of morals, and unbelief will signal that his coming is soon. The culture will be a signal. The second thing we see that Jesus talks about is the church will be ready. The church will be ready in verses 40 through 44. In verses 40 and 41, Jesus describes that what it will be like to be alive at his coming, to be in, in real life, in real time when he comes. And he, and he says, it, it, it'll kind of be like this. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. I believe when we read that, I understand this to mean that the man taken and the woman taken illustrate the gathering of the elect, the people of God, that Jesus has just talked about in verse 31. So if we back up to verse 31, Jesus says, He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather the elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So I believe that's what Jesus is speaking of here in these verses. So just like Noah and his family were removed from the earth and and placed in the ark before the final judgment of God, so will believers be removed from the earth and gathered to Christ before the final judgment falls. So the, the, the implication then is this, to be left is to be left in your sin. To be left outside of the ark is is to be left with your sin. To be left on the earth after that gathering of God's people is to be left before God with your sin. And therefore Jesus says to the people of God, be ready. Be ready. It's coming for sure. That trumpet call is coming. The Son of Man will appear. The church will be gathered. But we will not know precisely when. So be ready. Christ is coming for his own, for his people. So be ready. Make sure, make sure you belong to Christ. Philippians says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling is your heart right with god have your sins been forgiven in christ notice what i didn't ask i didn't ask did you make a decision when you were very young what i did ask although you may be saved and it might involve a decision while you're young, the question is, is your heart right with God today? Are you believing today? Are you following today? Are you trusting and embracing Christ as Lord and Savior today? Are we living our life for the Lord or are we living our life for our next gain or pleasure? Is our mind filled with the things of God or is our mind filled with the things of the world, the things of the flesh, 
the things of the earth. Are we making daily preparations to meet the Lord? Again, I don't know what they were talking about on those TBN broadcasts about special instructions for the rapture, but there is something to being prepared for the Lord. That's not only wise counsel because the Lord is coming, is it? I mean, that's wise counsel for life, period. That, that's biblical counsel for any of us because none of us are promised tomorrow. Just set aside the coming of the return of Christ for just a moment and, and realize again, none of us are promised tomorrow. So this is actually wise biblical counsel for any of us at any time. Are we ready to meet the Lord? Should he call on us this evening or tomorrow or tomorrow evening? Are we ready to stand before our Lord? Are our hearts ready, our lives ready? In verse 43, Jesus gives the illustration of the master of the house. And he says, if he had known the hour that the thief would break in, he would have been ready. But he didn't know the hour, so he wasn't ready. So what's the point? Well, you have to be ready for the whole night. Because you don't know which time he's coming, so you have to be ready all the time. And that's the point that Jesus is conveying. He should have been ready and prepared the entire night. So therefore, verse 44, be ready, church. Be ready. See, Jesus is saying, you, you, know, you can know with absolute certainty that, that I'm coming because my words are not going to pass away. Nothing's going to change what I've said about my return. I'm coming. But you're not going to know when. Here's the point. Be ready. Each and every day, be ready to receive and welcome your Lord and Savior. The Son of Man is coming in an hour that we do not expect. Now, what does that mean? This, the, he, he, he's coming in a time that you do not expect. If we say, well, we know he's coming, so why aren't we expecting it? And it's the routine of life, isn't it? I mean, we look, we look around at our culture today. That was the point of the illustrations earlier. And you look at Noah's day and you look at our day and you see the, you see the similarities. But the truth is that the world has, has always been filled with sin since the fall in Genesis 3. So it's always resembled, to some degree, Noah's day. And so many, many of you may, or some of you may, leave here today after hearing this sermon, after looking at this passage, and you may reason, yeah, that, that sounds reasonable, and, 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 the, and the pastor really kind of frightened me there, but Jesus is not coming today. I've got too much to do. I haven't retired yet. We've got that trip planned this coming summer. I haven't even been to college. I'm not married. Jesus is not coming today. We think, we all think that we're going to live until 
we're 100 or more, 99% of us won't. We, we won't wake up tomorrow expecting Jesus to come. Most of us won't. Having Matthew 24 and studying it, we won't wake up tomorrow expecting Jesus to come. But listen to this. One of these tomorrows, he will. Now imagine this. If we lived, myself included, Grassy Pond Baptist Church, if we lived every day like Jesus was coming that evening, we would turn this world upside down for Christ. That's what Jesus is conveying. The church must be ready. Lastly, the question comes from this illustration in verses 45 through 51. Will you be among the ready? Will I be among the ready? So Jesus illustrates how some will be ready for his coming and some will not by this story, contrasting the wise and the faithful servant and the wicked servant. That is, contrasting the believer and the unbeliever. You see, when the master arrives, he'll he'll find the believer busy about doing the master's work, making preparations, doing uh, doing his duties, preparing for the arrival of the master, even though the arrival has been delayed, it seems. He's still anticipating. This is, this is the master's house. This is my father's world. This, this, is, the, this is the kingdom of, of Christ. And so the believer, the faithful wise servant, is working and preparing, and the master returns and finds him so. But the unbeliever, the unbeliever doesn't believe the master's coming. He doesn't think he's going to arrive tomorrow. So he lives any way that he chooses. And to his dismay, the master arrives when he least expects him. The faithful servant is rewarded and the wicked servant is punished. The believer is taken to heaven. The unbeliever is sentenced to hell. The place where Jesus says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That, that phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth, signifies excruciating pain and raging anger. Mad at God for defying God their whole life and then paying for it. You see, the believer's sins were paid in full by Christ. And so the believer was was working from a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving and humility and praise and and worship unto the master. He, He was diligently working. He was found to be wise and faithful. But the unbeliever, not knowing Christ, not knowing forgiveness, not knowing reconciliation, just living for himself, no attention to the master, no attention to his return. He must pay for his own sin. No one else has paid for it. 
he's left to pay for his own sin. The one who is left is left with his sin. And that's the way this chapter concludes. We'll pick up in Matthew at some point next year. We'll look at a few other things first before we get back to this gospel. But just concluding this this chapter and this sermon, I, I, I would conclude it this way. When someone has been told, you only have a few days to live. They're often counseled this way, aren't they? You make sure your house is in order. That's what Matthew 24 and 25 is. Jesus is saying, this is the point of teaching on the end times and the return of Christ. Make sure your soul is in order. That's the point of end time passages in the Bible. The point is not to predict a date. The point is to prepare the heart. The point is not to know when he's coming. The point is to be ready when he does. When he does. So church, let's ready ourselves. The king is coming. Let's pray. Father, we look to your word and as we confessed earlier, there's a lot that we can't figure out. There's a lot that we can't put together, but the, the, the overall message is so clear. Christ is coming. Be ready to welcome him. So today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to, to, to look at Christmas, at the coming of the Son of Man. Why did he come? Why was there Christmas? Why did he wrap himself in human flesh? What is Christmas all about? Well, Jesus says, I've come to seek and save sinners. I've come to seek and save those who are lost. I've come to seek and save and rescue those who are in sin and in rebellion against the Lord. And, And that's us. That's all of us. Christ came for us to to save us and to ready us, to make us fit for heaven when he returns. Christmas, the first coming, is about the second coming, getting us ready for heaven. So, Father, we just ask you today, if we are not in Christ, would you draw us to faith in your Son? Pray that today would be the day that we yield our lives, surrender our lives to Christ as Lord and Savior of all, and bow the knee and bow the heart and experience the joy of being made new, made clean, reconciled, adopted into the family of God, justified before God, ready for heaven. I pray that today would be the day of salvation. 
And for those of us who are in Christ, Lord, may today be the day that we once again reorient our lives to Christ and, and clear the clutter and, and, and the debris and the distractions from our life and live each and every day looking up, looking for our Savior, ready for his glorious appearing. So there's a lot of praying to do. There's a lot of confessing to do. There's a lot of reconciling to do. There's a lot of, there's a lot of study to do. There's a, there's a lot of witnessing to do. There's a lot of living for the Lord. It's like that wise and faithful servant. It's time to get busy. The king is coming. Lord, have your way and your will in our hearts today. We ask in Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch, P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens.